You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. the weight of that beautiful truth that we just sang. That you are the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. You were there at the beginning. You will be there for eternity. For all those who call upon your name, we will worship at your feet, casting our crowns around the golden throne the glassy sea how magnificent what a savior who would save a wretch like me how glorious father would you come and continue to meet with your people now remove distraction from this place tenderly speak to us I pray powerfully speak to us Father, I pray we would not be interested in just doing church as usual. Father, we would come with receptive hearts and expectant hearts to hear a word and to be changed and long to be transformed into the image of Christ. Would your word go forth now and bear fruit, not just for this time together, but in the days, weeks, months, and seasons to come the life of this beautiful church that you have established and will continue to build to the glory of Jesus Christ and it is in his name we pray if you agree church say amen 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 you may be seated well good morning church it is um, very good uh, to be here with you again this morning very special for us. Um, for those of you who may not know, my name is Ray Kaprowski, and I was on staff here for a number of years. And uh, Lord willing, I'll be the lead pastor for Harvest Bible Chapel Ottawa, which will be launching, Lord willing, in the fall. Amen? Come on. That's worth, that's worth cheering about. The Lord's work. Amen. So I just wanted to give you a quick update on how um, my family and I are doing, and we just wanted to say thank you. It's overwhelming to um, hear of and receive notes from you, and and uh, of all the prayers that you're praying for us, and they are needed, and God is answering, and um, there is much to be expected for in the days to come. God is stirring a hungry group of people in Ottawa to see. Uh, his glory established in his church, and I say with full confidence that the best day of his church are ahead, 
Amen? They are ahead. And uh, so please continue to pray for us. It's really exciting. Uh, a week ago, Friday, uh, we finalized uh, the purchasing of a home in Ottawa. And so that's a huge hurdle. Yes, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord how he provided that. And so we just, uh, yet another step in the process that God is uh, pressing us into greater dependency on him for, but uh, we are seeing his hand at work. So I want you to be encouraged with that and look forward to updating you more uh, in the months to come. Well, the title of this morning's message is Hitting the Mark of Uncommon Community. Hitting the Mark of Uncommon Community, and it's taken from Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 13. And as you turn there, if you do not have uh, a Bible, the ushers are coming forward now to give you one. We'd love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand. So if you don't have one, just raise your hand. And we want to make sure uh, that you get a copy. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word at home, uh, that's yours to keep. We want to bless you with that so you can continue to study uh, on your own as well. And as we're turning to Romans chapter 12, I... I want to ask us this question this morning to start us off. And what comes into your mind, church, when you uh, think of community? What sort of ideas or pictures come into mind when you hear that word community? Well, you're going to see a a definition on the screen from dictionary.com, and it says this. Community is a group of people uh, living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. These can include having similar habits, hobbies, maybe our race, a similar race, religion. Maybe we live in the same neighborhood, right? Or other interests that we can be involved in, just to name a few. And you see, these are the usual ways that are used to describe what common communities that we see around us today are made up of. And most of them, if we're honest, have the mentality of, it's not uh, what I can give, it's about what I can get. So I live in a neighborhood, I get a home. Right? I, I participate in a certain hobby, I get joy out of that. It's mostly about what we can get and not what we can give. And so often... These are the same attitudes, loved ones, that we bring with us into the church about what we think the church community should be like. How can this, how can this church serve me? I mean, what's the benefit to me on this? You see, however, however, what if I told you that God desires this church community right here in his church around the globe to be something much greater than that? Something greater than people just coming together on a Sunday morning and taking in a service for a few hours. Something greater than the church community uh, blending in with the common world around them. And instead, what if God's desire was for it to live and function in an uncommon way that powerfully displays his glory and is completely radical and distinct from any other community in the world? Completely radical, completely distinct. This is the community that God is calling his church to have. An uncommon community. An uncommon community. You say, well, what's that? Well, an uncommon community you'll see on the screen. James McDonald describes it this way. I think he, he nails this when he says, It is the Spirit of God working through the Word of God and our service to God, binding us together in love for one another. Is that not amazing? The Spirit of God working through the Word of God and our service 
to God, binding us together in love towards one another. And you see, Paul here in this letter to the local churches in Rome is outlining the marks of what a true Christian is to look like and through this gives us the blueprint for how a culture-changing, uncommon community is to be lived in Jesus Christ. And what we see so clearly here in this text is that there are three uncommon attitudes and behaviors that we as Christians are to be living with if we are to hit the mark of uncommon community that we are called to be a part of. Three uncommon attitudes and behaviors. Number one, to hit the mark of the uncommon community, we must have an uncommon devotion of sincerity. An uncommon devotion of sincerity. Look at verses 9 and 10. Paul says this. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. You see, Paul starts here by looking inward to ourselves. Did you catch that? Looking inward to ourselves, as he says in verse 9, let love be genuine. The word genuine there has the same meaning as sincere. Okay? Let love be sincere. This love is not one that we're just putting on for others or we're expecting payback when we give it to them. The type of love that God wants to characterize his church and his people is not a transaction. I did this for you, you do it for me, you deserve this much, so I'll give that to you. Rather, sincere love is one that centers, this is challenging, ready? Completely on the needs of the other person and does whatever needs to be done to meet those needs. That's challenging. I don't know, maybe, maybe for just me, but that's, that's really sobering. And notice there where he goes on to say in verse 9, so he says, let love be genuine, but look at this, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. See, to abhor means to detest or utterly loathe every form of evil. To detest, that's strong language, right? To detest or utterly loathe every form of evil. To abhor evil means we aren't dabbling in sin making excuses for it in our lives, and this should lead us to a hatred of evil. This is what Paul's talking about. It should lead us to a hatred of evil and a tenacious attachment. That's what that term hold fast means. A tenacious attachment to what God tells us is good through his word. He goes on to say in verse 10, he says, love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor. This could also be read, be devoted to one another with a brotherly affection. See, believers are members of God's family. And get this, this is, this is so key for today. How we live out the love we have for one another, ready, is the primary way that we're recognized as Christians. How we live out the love that we have for one another is the primary way the world recognizes us as Christians. And to outdo one another in honor is to show a genuine appreciation and high respect for fellow believers by putting them first. It is a you-before-me attitude at all times and in all situations. Turn to the person next to you and say, you before me. You before me. All right? 
you before me. Now, now, before we move on there, I mean, that's, that's a challenge. Those two verses, I mean, there's so much packed in those two verses right there. Right? Like, how challenging is that? Put your hand up if you think that it's hard to do and impossible to do without the power of Jesus Christ. Okay, sweet. Agreement. Good. Starting foundation. There we go. Why is this hard to do? Why is this hard to do? Because, ready, for the prevalence of sin. It's the prevalence of sin in our lives because sin always seeks our own good first. Me before you. That's the only thing sin can do. It never says you before me. The prevalence of sin always says me before you. And that is why Paul focuses the first part of this section on the marks of a true Christian on the crucial importance of our personal holiness because that is where everything else and how we love others flows out from. What you put first will always order the rest. He focuses on our personal holiness to abhor what is evil, get rid of the sin, don't dabble in that, and hold fast a tenacious attachment to what is good. And Paul recognizes the importance of emphasizing this because as D.A. Carson says, you'll see this quote on the screen, he says this, people do not drift towards holiness. Our natural drift because of sin isn't towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, People do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. These are all things that Paul is saying, hold fast to what is good. We drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we've escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves we have been liberated. You see, a sincere devotion to Christ, loved ones, a sincere devotion to Christ first is essential if we are to have a sincere devotion to others and to hit the mark of uncommon community. So take a moment right now and examine yourself and ask, what area or areas am I choosing to compromise on God's command to hold fast to what is good by tolerating sin in my life and quenching the Spirit's ability to honor others before myself? Just take a moment to write that down. I'm going to give you a moment. It's important. Take a moment to write it down. What area or areas am I tolerating sin and compromising on this command to hold fast to what is good? And as you're writing that down, these are some of the things that came to mind this week. How about in our, in our marriages? Or how we're treating our spouse? I mean, how many? How many arguments? How many hurtful things that have been said could be absolutely obliterated by the gospel of Jesus Christ if we had the attitude of you before me? How about in that secret sin in your life that no one knows about but you and the Lord? That secret sin is compromising and holding on. What about 
Here's one that I've realized recently. Um, it's very, very prominent. is a lack of reconciliation between you and someone else in the body of Christ that um, you know you need to get things right with. And you're holding on to unforgiveness. Someone who's hurt you or you've hurt. You know, James McDonald says it this way. He says, unforgiveness is like drinking a bottle of poison and expecting the other person to die. How about in the entertainment choices we make? How about that worry, anxiety, or fear that we continue to go back to and hang on because it gives us this false sense of security? It's an illusion. It's an illusion. Abhor that. And some of us may be here saying, well, Ray, aren't aren't you just being a little too stringent here? Really? Aren't you just being a little too stringent? But think about it. Think about it, loved ones. What is sin? What is sin? Sin is anything that violates God's commands. Bare bones definition right there. Anything that violates God's commands is sin. And sin is saying, me before God and me before you every time. Me before God and me before you. And no matter how big or small we think the compromise may be, oh, it's just a little thing. It's just a little. You see, loved ones, unchecked sin will begin to deceive us into thinking that the standard of grace and love that we should have towards others should be based on our terms and not God's. What we think they deserve or what we want Or think we can pay back to them for what they've done to us. That's what sin deceives us into thinking. What they've earned. What we feel like they deserve. And as Bob Goff uh, so pointedly states, he says, Grace and love are only hard to give when we're keeping score. Genuine, sincere grace, sincere love are only hard to give when we're keeping score. But that's where sin leads us. And you see, when we compromise in our walk with God, we will compromise in our walk with others. You cannot separate the two. You can't. And living with a sincere devotion to God and others has to start with personal holiness in ourselves through drawing near to God each day through his word, repenting of our sin by his spirit, and being transformed more into his image. And why? Why does it have to start there? Because without the power and image of Jesus Christ in us through his spirit, we have no hope to love like this. It is impossible to do. It's impossible without Jesus Christ. And this is why he went to the cross and died to forgive us of our sins so that as we surrender our lives to him, his spirit lives in us, helps us defeat sin, and gives us the power to live a life of sincere devotion to one another that he calls us to. I love how 1 John 3.16 says this. You'll see it on the screen. It says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see, see, in the common community, the person in which we have our most sincere devotion to, you know who it is? Ourselves. In the common community of the world around us, ourselves have the greatest and most sincere devotion. 
But to hit the mark of uncommon community, we have an uncommon devotion of sincerity towards others. And as an overflow of this, we must also have, look at verse 11 and 13, an uncommon service of fervency. An uncommon service of fervency. Verse 11. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. You see there, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. He says in verse 11, little word study here, the slothful term there, what he's talking about, that means the lazy, indifferent, and apathetic We are lazy, indifferent, and apathetic to the needs around us in the church instead of having a zeal to take action to meet them once we're aware of them. He's like, don't be slothful in this. If you see a need, take action. If you know there's a need, step up. And you see that Greek word, or that that word fervent there? See, do not be slothful, be fervent. Okay, I love this. Ready for this? So I even said to Natalie as I was prepping this week, I said, hey, you know, if we ever have another boy, I would love to name him this. This Greek word for fervent, you know what it says? Ready? Zeontist. That's amazing. Say that with me. Zeontist. Yeah, that's a Greek word. By the way, Natalie didn't go for that, so don't worry. Right? But Zeontist. Right? And that means, that means to boil or be hot. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's amazing. Right? And it is, it is heat that is under control. It is heat that is focused on giving God our best as we serve Him in the power of His Spirit for His glory as our main focus. Serve the Lord, right? As our glory is our main focus. And then, look at verse 13. I love this. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What's, what's Paul talking about there with hospitality? What's he meaning by that? Well, it's when sharing takes place under one's roof and comes from the Greek word, ready for this one? Philizenus. Sweet. Philizenus, which means having a love for strangers. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality to strangers. See, early believers were constantly opening their homes to other believers who were traveling, whether they knew them or not. Hotels were expensive, the roads were deadly, and so when believers in a certain city found out there were travel, their brothers and sisters were traveling through, they opened their homes to them. They were encouraged to that, whether they knew them or not, because being in Christ was enough. Let me ask you a question. Is that enough for you and me today? Is that enough for you and me today? I mean, when's the last time you and I opened the doors of hospitality to someone who wasn't our closest friend or who wasn't in our age group, our life stage, or from a similar background as us? I mean... When's the last time we shared a table with our brother and sister we didn't know so well so we could share our lives with them? This takes an act of humility and vulnerability. It's vulnerable to open your home to people into the most intimate places that we know. And see this, fervently seeking to meet the needs of others first and getting beyond ourselves requires this humility. 
And I love the contrast. Paul talks about fervency, but I love the contrast between the fervency and then the humility that Paul states here because it shows this. Ready? Our level of humility in laying our lives down for others must match our level of intensity that we are called to go after them with. Our level of humility has to match our level of intensity. Okay? You can't have those out of balance. And, and think of it this way as comparing a wildfire and a blowtorch. Okay? Wildfire and a blowtorch. Think of this. One is destructive. Wildfire. Right? Out of control. One is destructive. The other is productive. Focused. Fervency that is not balanced with humility is like a wildfire that is destructive and out of control. Even if it has the right motives, even if it has the right means. I'm going after you, I'm going after you, I'm going after And you can end up actually causing people to withdraw. Right? But fervency that is balanced by humility is like a blowtorch that also gets really hot. Zeontist. Right? Gets really hot, but is controlled and productive in transforming something. Fervency matched with humility. And you see, loved ones, real needs are not far from us. I mean, I, I look out at you precious people, and I see 320 needs in front of me right now. You know, one of my, one of my favorite things about coming into this church has been since day one, is when I come in that door and walk down this hallway. Do you know what I hear? Another hundred voices all have needs. Real needs are not far. Look around. Needs that God is calling us to meet right here in the church as his hands and feet. And so how about you? What are the needs of the church around you right now that because you're part of this family, this church, this uncommon community, God wants to meet through you? How about, we, we talked about, how about that in Harvest Kids in Awana? Having people passionate to pour into the next generation that they can see men and women of fervency and humility, and genuine love as the model for what Christ-like standard should be. How about in setup? You are sitting on a chair today because someone laid down their lives and time and schedule for you so you wouldn't have to stand this whole service to hear the gospel. How about in welcome ministry, parking lot? I mean, are we filled with a God-given fervency or passion to contribute to the needs of your brothers and sisters in Christ, saying, you before me? I know there's going to be sacrifice, but you before me because I'm called to it as a member of his church. Or do you find yourself, like sometimes I have to battle with, making excuses as to why you can't serve to contribute to the needs of the saints within the church? You know, and some may say, well, wait, wait, why, why, why would I have to serve in the church? Why would I serve in the church? I mean, I just come in, I get fed on Sunday morning. Here, okay, great. Thanks for asking. Here's five key reasons to be serving in the church. Ready? Five key reasons to be serving in the church. Number one, it shows you make God's church a priority. Ephesians 5.25 said Christ loved his church and gave his life up for her. 
The church of Jesus Christ on this earth is the thing that Jesus Christ is most passionate about in this world. There's nothing more passionate about Christ than his church. And if it's a priority for him, it has to be a priority for us if we claim his name. Right here at home. Five key reasons to serve in the church. Number one, you make God's church a priority. Number two, your belief in God's word is demonstrated. Your belief in God's word is demonstrated by stepping up to serve. Ephesians 4.1 says, Walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have been called to be serving in his church and seeing it built up for the glory of God. And the way, here, this is such a sobering truth, but so fundamental. The way we live out our faith is the main way we show we believe it. Do we believe God's word is true or not? Do we believe that when he says, let love be genuine, contribute to the needs of the saints, contribute to them in his church, do we believe that? Then we'll show it with our lives. Leaving our excuses, embracing the call of Christ. Five key reasons to serve in the church. Number one, you make God's church a priority. Number two, your belief in God's word is demonstrated. Love this. Number three, you get known and loved. You get known and loved. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 says, Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica and he says, you've become very dear to us. We are affectionate for you. I mean, I love coming in here today. It's so special for my family and I to be here this weekend because we love you. You are dear to us. How many times, honey, do we pray? Bless the people. Bless our brothers and sisters in Brampton. Love them. You are dear to us. You grow as brothers and sisters and your affection for each other grows. You get known. You get loved. Five key reasons to serve in the church. By no means exhaustive, but you make God's church a priority. Number two, your belief in God's word is demonstrated. Number three, you get known and loved. Number four, your gifts and passion grow. Your gifts and passion grow. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, fan into flame the gift of God that has been given to you. Fan that into flame. Passion is never static. It only grows through action. We say, how do I get more passionate about the word of God? Open the book. Start reading. Well, how do I get passionate about God's church? Get into God's church. Right? Passion never grows on its own. It's not static. It has to grow through action. Lastly, five key reasons to serve in the church. You make God's church a priority. Your belief in God's word is demonstrated. You get known and loved. Your gifts and passion grow. And lastly, undermines everything. God gets glory. God gets glory. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine, to him be glory in the church through Christ Jesus throughout now and throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And you say, well, wait a second. How, how does God get glory through me setting up a chair? I mean, how does, God, how does God get glory through me putting out a pylon or changing a diaper or wiping a nose in the nursery? How does God get glory through me dishing out fruit snacks and harvest kids? Here's why. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. Because the gospel spreads through ordinary people serving with Christ's extraordinary power.
That's how. The gospel spreads through ordinary people like you and me doing ordinary things but serving with Christ's extraordinary power. That's how the gospel spreads. Whether we're parking cars, setting chairs, wiping noses, whatever it is. See, in the common community, it's completely normal to see the need and just pass by. It happens every day. Oh, I didn't, yeah, I see that. Oh, well, I don't want to invest that. I got to get past my skin. I, it, oh. It's so common to do that. That's the normal thing in the common community. But in God's uncommon community, service is always the norm and never the exception. Service is always the norm. Praise Jesus for his service for his church in laying his life down. Amen? And to hit the mark of uncommon community, we must have an uncommon devotion of sincerity, an uncommon service with fervency, and all of this comes from having an uncommon faith of endurance. An uncommon faith of endurance. Look at verse 12. He says this. Paul says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in in prayer. I love where he says they rejoice in hope at the start. The hope that Paul is speaking of here is the hope we have of Christ's return when he comes back to redeem his people for his glory. How awesome will that be? He is encouraging the believers to live in the hope of eternity and not our present circumstances. Live in the light of eternity. I love how Martin Luther had said he had two days on his calendar, this day and that day that Christ is coming back. Living in the hope of eternity with an inheritance that can't be shaken because of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's because of this that then Paul can go on to say, look at the second part of that verse. He says, rejoice in hope, but look, be patient in tribulation. Be patient in the trial. Exhorting the believers to suffer with endurance through the trials that would come as Christians claim the name of Jesus Christ. Christians would be mocked, slandered, persecuted for their faith. And yet, they were called to be patient through it all. Maybe that describes some of us of what we're going through here today. Or what you've been through with your family, with your co-workers, with your neighbor, whatever it is. Be patient through it all, loved ones, and rejoice in your salvation in Jesus Christ that can never be taken away from them, no matter how hard it got. If we're not living in the light of eternity, we start to live by our perceptions instead of God's promises. Always trust. Paul's exhorting them here. Trust God's promises more than our perceptions. And look at the last part of this. In, in part C of this verse, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Here it is. Be constant in prayer. I love love how Paul puts this last in this verse strategically because it must constant prayer must underlie everything that we do everything and to be constantly praying without ceasing in all situations in both peaceful and hard times I mean can't you hear Paul encouraging them can't you just see it he's like I wonder if he he had a tone like this. He's like, he's like, loved ones, loved ones, I know it's hard. I know it's hard, but rejoice and trust God's promises he's made to you more than your perceptions of what is happening to you in that trial. Rejoice in that. The Lord is faithful. He who began a work in you will see it through to completion. Keep praying that your faith may not fail, church. Keep praying that your faith may not fail. I know it's hard right now. Keep praying. He's faithful. He will do it. So what, why is being in constant prayer so important? Why? 
You'll see it on the screen. I love, love this. Prayer is a declaration of our faith in God and our need for him. While prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from him. That's why being constant in prayer is so key. It's a declaration of our faith and our need for God. While prayerlessness is our declaration of independence from him. And so I have to ask the question this morning. What declaration are you making through your prayers or lack thereof right now in each area of your life? I'm not just talking about the big things that you're facing. I'm talking the day-to-day-to-day, moment-by-moment decisions. Are they bathed in prayer? Prayer is a declaration of our faith in God and our need for him. How about in us as a church? What's the declaration we're making? You see, one of the greatest, hear me this morning, loved ones. I love you so much. One of the greatest weapons that God has given his church is the ability to fight together in him. One of the greatest weapons that God has given his church is the ability to fight together, side by side, striving for the gospel of Jesus Christ together. And there is no greater battle to to be fought together than the one that is on our knees in prayer for one another. Why do you think Satan works so hard to take prayer out of your life and out of the church? It's the first thing to go. You don't need to pray about that. It's just a trip to the grocery store. You don't need to pray about that. It's just a good night kiss for your kid. You don't You see, the devil will work very hard to try and steal, kill, and destroy the unity of God's people in the uncommon community that we are called to be a part of. He will try very hard to do that. Because he knows the power that is through Jesus Christ when God's people come together in an uncommon community and call on his name to see him do what only he can do to see his glory established. Satan has to flee. And so he works to to divide. He works to discourage. He works to accuse and, and spread gossip and slander and harbor thoughts. I'm sick of that. And it is through fighting together in prayer, loved ones, that we grow in our intimacy with God and one another. And from that, we have the faith to endure whatever may come to see the fulfillment of His purposes take place. See, if I could sum that whole section up, it would be here. You'll see it on the screen. Write this down. To pray in faith together is to endure in faith together. To pray in faith together is to endure in faith together. And it is through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross that all who have confessed him as their Lord and Savior have now gained full access to God the Father and through prayer can now approach the throne of grace with great confidence to receive mercy and find help in their time of need. It is the continual prayer of faith that underscores every other aspect of living in the uncommon community as believers were called to. It is through the prayer of faith in Jesus Christ and his power that we can 
have an uncommon devotion to sincerity as we pray. Lord, help us to love one another more than we love ourselves. That's a prayer of faith. It's a prayer of endurance. Help us to love one another more than we love ourselves. It is through the prayer of faith in Jesus Christ that we can have an uncommon service of fervency as we cry out, Lord, fan into flame a greater passion for your name. As you become greater and as we become less, you before me. You before me. And it is through the prayer of faith in Jesus Christ that we can have an uncommon faith of endurance as we cry out, Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith as we hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, knowing that you are faithful and you are good no matter what trials are in front of us. You are faithful and you are good. You are a good, good father. And we will press into you together and call on your name. This is hitting the mark of uncommon community. This is hitting the mark. And perhaps you're here this morning and you've, you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And I just want to say first off, I'm so thankful you're here. God brought you here right now. Today when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. And maybe you're here and you're saying, well, this is the uncommon community that I want to be a part of. That through the power of Jesus Christ, where love and honor are given genuinely, service is given continually, and where people bear the burdens I'm facing in prayer with me along the way. I'm through of walking through these things alone. I'm through with the world and it being all about me. I'm ready to make it about him. Because that's why I was created. And if that's you here this morning, um, there will be leaders up at the front to pray. And I want to encourage you, if you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today let it be the day of your salvation. Utterly impossible to love, to honor, to serve like this without the power of Jesus Christ in us. It can't happen. I want to talk to you. We want to talk to you and pray with you. That would be a real privilege for us. Don't ignore the Lord's voice. And if you're here and you've confessed Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, my challenge to us this morning is this. How are you hitting the mark of uncommon community here in this church? Maybe some of you have been coming for years. Maybe weeks. The needs are all around. So much love ready to give, ready to be shown. How are you hitting the mark of uncommon community here in this church? And I encourage you today, right now, right now, let's sit on it, I encourage you right now to take your next steps in being part of the community that God has put around you. Maybe for some of us here, it's joining that small group that we're putting off because we don't want people to know us. That's where healing can begin. Maybe for some of us, it's, ah, you know what I see, the call out for service. Maybe it's time to step up to serve. You before me. Applications at the back. Talk to anyone in a blue shirt, any ministry leader. We'd love to know how to get you plugged in. Maybe for some of us, it's, it's in addition to those opening our home for others that we normally wouldn't. Who do you see in your church here that you know is coming for year after year and never had them over? You don't know them. Give it a shot. 
Share a table so you can share your life. And maybe for some of us here, it's reaching out to reconcile with that person who we need to do that with. Who we know we've wronged. Or has wronged us. Just reach out to reconcile. Today, before you leave, that, that can happen now. Today. Fellowship restored. Unity restored. Is that worth it? Yes. Because God commands a blessing on it. What step is God calling you to take right now? Don't wait. Don't wait. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you are, you are so good. You are so kind. And you love us so much. You're so passionate about your church. Lord, would you give us even but a glimpse of that in our own hearts? The fervency to boil hot for your church. The thought of even having one service position open, Lord, burdening our hearts. Say, I can meet that, you before me. The thought of a person walking alone who's been coming here, Lord, it grieves my heart. I pray today, Lord, that they would take their next steps. Father, for those that don't know you, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that today would be the day of their salvation. Lord, it can be. It can be. You can do that, and you want to. It's not your wish that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I pray for that today. Would you bring salvation to the house today? I'm sick with the world. I'm sick with those things. I'm ready to be about you. About you, Lord. And for those of us who have already confessed you as our Savior, oh Lord, I pray you would illuminate through your Spirit in our hearts. Heavenly Father, what's the next step right now? To be reconciled to that person in as much as is in our power to live at peace? Is it to step up and pour into the life of a toddler or a, a youth age student or set up, whatever it is? What is it, Lord? Is it to open our home to that person we've seen week after week and yet don't know them? Oh, Lord, I pray for fervency and humility in this church. I love these people so much. And I know you have good plans for this church. I know it. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would continue to mobilize and unify your church because how good and pleasing it is when your people dwell together in unity for there, Psalm 133 says, the blessing of the Lord is commanded. So come, find us faithful right now, right in our seats, right now. Let's not wait. Find us faithful. To be faithful to do what you're calling us to right now, I pray. Come and have your way because you are all to us. You are all to us. It's all about you. It's all for you. And we lay down our agendas. We lay down our pride. Let the glory of your name be the passion of this church. In your name we pray. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.